I love to hear Jeremy sing. Well, I like to sing with Jeremy, I should say, I guess. How are you all doing today? Well, I'm glad you're good. Matter of fact, I'm very glad you're good. Oh, oh I got it. Lost my little clicker. Sorry about that. Okay, I got a lot to say and a little time to say it in, so we'll just move right along. God with us. Jesus was called Emmanuel, and that's translated God with us. Uh, God came into the world to walk among people, and he did. And that's why our Lord is referred to as Emmanuel. He dwelt among us. Uh, that's an expression of his love, his interest in us. He, of his own volition, chose to come into the world and live for about 33 years, a challenging life, at least. And uh, we appreciate him so very much. In Matthew 28, 20 and B, Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. He'll be with us until the end of the Christian age, that is. He's with us today just like he was with the apostles in the beginning of the church age. He, uh, he cares about us. He's interested in us, our well-being. He's involved in our lives. He works in our lives in ways that we can't possibly understand. These things are far above our ability to comprehend but we have his word that this is the case and we rely on it i rely on it uh, every day i'm constantly thinking of the fact that the lord is with me in hebrews 13 5 and 6 we have the promise let your conduct be without covetousness don't be striving just for money don't make that your way of life be content with such things as you have, with what you got. Be content with who you've got. Be content because in many ways we're very rich people, perhaps not monetarily, but we're very rich nonetheless because people love us and they care about us and they would take care of us if something happened to us. Be content with those good things. For he himself, the Lord himself, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's why we don't have to be covetous. That's why we can be content. It's because we know the Lord is constantly with us. And we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Promise from heaven to an individual saint. And that's you, and that's me. But sometimes, it doesn't seem like things are working out that way. Sometimes we get the idea that maybe the Lord isn't really that close to us after all. You might look at it this way, but, many will ask, is God really with us? I know what the Bible says, and I've heard what the preacher and teacher says. But is it true? 
if it's true. Why have I got cancer? If it's true, why did my uninsured house burn down? If it's true, why did a drunk driver kill my husband? We have promises from heaven, and we rely on them. But things go wrong sometimes. And then we, we wonder about the promise. Jeremiah wondered. You know, Jeremiah was a very popular man, man of God. He wasn't popular in his time. He sure is popular in our time, though. The great man of God, Jeremiah, is the way we refer to him. He spoke to the Lord one day, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. When I'm praying to you, you are indeed a righteous being. Yet, let me talk with you about your judgments. Let me talk to you about some of the things that are going on in my life. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? I know you're with me, but why do the, the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer? Question of the ages. I don't know, I don't believe there's been a person who hasn't had those thoughts cross their mind. Jeremiah did. Abraham did. David did. Moses did. I can't think of a biblical giant who didn't entertain the same thoughts. Because sometimes the promises and the actions, they don't seem compatible. And we begin to doubt whether or not the Lord is really with us. Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? Why are mean people getting away with murder, you might say? Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 2 and 4 experience expressed his doubts as well. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. How long is this going to go on? Why do you show me iniquity, sin, and cause me to see trouble? Why do you allow this to happen? I don't get it. Why, why are evil people running rampant? And getting away with it while the good people suffer. I don't get it. His question particularly had to do with Israel. How come the Israelites, the evil Israelites, why are they doing whatever they want to do and prospering while the faithful Israelites are suffering at their hand? Why is this? I don't understand. Who could? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contentions arise. Therefore... The law, the law is powerless. Justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. There is nothing good in Israel. And you're the God of Israel. How can this be? He doesn't understand. Why doesn't the Lord intervene on our behalf? Well, who could understand it? None of us do. We're not capable of reading the mind or the plans of God. 
And he hasn't told us. He isn't going to tell us what his plans are. We have to keep on trusting. Even though it may appear that God's not with us, we've got to keep on trusting. Because that's what we have is our faith. And without it, we come up very short. Some of the Jews thought following the Lord had been a waste of time. Ever wonder that? I can remember, it's been some time now, but I could remember wondering if I was wasting my time. Am I going to live the life as I was living? I was preaching and I was teaching Bible classes. Am I going to live my life till I'm three score and ten? And go to face God only to find out none of it had been true. That's called weak faith, and I had it. And I thought it. I had a fear that maybe, maybe, it was a myth. And that troubled me something fierce. That's the way the Jews were thinking during the time of Malachi. Just about the time the Old Testament would close and they would enter into a period of 400 years where God was not going to speak revelation. And the people of Israel were down in the mouth. Malachi said, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, you, you have said it is useless to serve God. That's what the people were saying. It's useless. It's a waste of time. What are you going to get for your trouble? What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? What did we gain by obeying God? And that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts. So now, now we call the proud people the blessed people. They're the only ones that are prospering. For those who do wickedness are raised up, manifest, exalted above others they even tempt God shake their fist in the face of God Almighty and nothing happens where is God well they would have to wait until the days of John the Baptist before they would find an answer to their question it's going to be a long rough road rough road between 400 and the time of Christ a lot of hardships befell the Jewish people. Cancel culture. We hear this today often. Cancel culture. To take away your right to say what you think and be who you are. Cancel culture. Remember that. Some people call it woke. Their intention is to shut down everything that is right and exalt everything that is wrong. That's what's going on across the country. You look at all the Democratic-run cities. New York, Chicago, L.A., pick a city. It doesn't make any difference. Seattle, pick a city. It just doesn't matter. And what do you see going on? Well, there's no cash bail anymore. In Chicago, Lori Lightfoot made it where cops can't chase a bad guy. They can't chase him on foot. 
What is the cop going to do? He sees a guy knock somebody in the head, and what is he going to do? He can't chase him. He doesn't know his name, and crime's gone up about 400%. What's going on? It's all the same entity. It's all the same group. It's a socialist, fascist, part of the great society. And we're experiencing it as well. How long will it be for people like me are not allowed to talk on the internet? How long will it be before people like me are not allowed to talk before you? How long will it take before the cancel culture cancels us. The only humorous thing I can see out of the whole affair is that those who were all in favor of the cancel culture, they're being canceled, especially comedians. They're shutting down comedians all over the country. At one time they were for it, and now they're against it. And it's happening to a lot of people. There's a lot of liberals across the country who helped initiate things like this, and now they're suffering the consequences of it. Because it's socialism, it's fascism, and the end product of that is nothing good. Look at Nazi Germany. What remains to be seen is what do we do in a country that's caught in a twister like ours. We trust in the presence of God always and forever. Hand culture is as old as humanity. I get a lot of emails from people all over the country. Uh, text messages. People are trembling about the cancel culture or the woke movement, whatever you want to call it. The truth of the matter is, it's nothing new. It was here when I was born. It was here 100 years before I was born. It was here when Jesus Christ walked the earth. It was here since the beginning of time. It's always been that way. You remember the great battle in the beginning? God versus Satan? And the two camps that followed each? It's always been that way. And it's going to always be that way. It's not something to fear. It's something that we should expect. Because what remains to be seen, what's really important in this whole affair, is how do we stand? How will our faith stand up? That's what counts. Because soon, very soon, None of this will matter. The only thing that's going to matter is what lies ahead of us.
And that's where our focus ought to be. Isaiah 5.20 said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Does that sound familiar to you? Isn't evil being called good? Isn't homosexuality, which is condemned by God, isn't it now today being called good? When I was a child, the worst thing somebody could call you was homosexual. If they did, you had to fight them. Because if you didn't fight him, you was a sissy or you was a homosexual. So you had to fight. And we fought. But today, it's a good thing. It's not queer. It's not poor behavior. It's not morally wrong. Today, it's, it's the way people are made. There's no proof for that, but... What's proof got to do with anything? Put darkness for light, light for darkness, bitter for sweet, sweet for bitter. Flip things over is what it comes down to. Isaiah said, this is about 800 years before Christ. Isaiah said, people are doing this very thing. They're calling bad good and good bad. What are they doing today? Calling good bad and bad good. Nothing's changed. There's nothing new under the sun. Humankind continues to do what humankind has done in the past. And it forever will be. Jesus forewarned, this is for us as well. A disciple is not above his teacher. We're not better than him, nor a servant above his master. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, the prince of demons. If they called me the prince of demons. How much more will they call those of his household? How much more are they going to call you? If they, if, if they attack Jesus in that manner, should I be surprised if I'm attacked similarly? Well, of course not. If there was anyone to fear, it would have been him, certainly not me. We're taught time and time again these things are going to happen. They have to happen. And I hate to say it without giving you an explanation, but it's good that these things happen. Because they test us. They test our metal. They prove what we're made of. They let me see what I am. They let me see if my faith is solid if I have what the Lord is looking for. And the thankful part is if it's not, I can repair it. I can repair it. These things I have spoken to you, the Lord said, that in me you may have peace. He is always with us, even to the end of the age. I've said these things that you might find peace in your heart. In your heart. Because in the world... All you're going to get is tribulation. The peace is going to be inside, not outside. Outside the body, there's going to be war and faction and fighting and deceiving, lying and cheating and every other thing you can think of. But what I've given you, he said, will give you peace inside. We can't control the outside of us, but we can control the inside of us. And that we shall see. 
The Lord's people have always been canceled, as I just said. Cain canceled Abel, you recall. Why? Because the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Cain despised, detested, murdered his brother because he would do the will of God, whereas Cain would not. So he canceled him permanently. It's not new. It's not new. In that book of Exodus, we know that Joseph saved Egypt. And he was the, the grand hero of Egypt. Everybody loved Joseph because he saved that nation from famine. And they, they, they loved him so intently for all the good things he had done. But we're told in verse 8, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He wasn't aware, perhaps, of what Joseph had done for Egypt. He didn't care what Joseph had done for Egypt. The only thing that mattered to him were the things that mattered to him, and that was power and wealth. He was an evil man. In verse 13, the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. They worked them very hard. The reason for doing that was they took account of all those Hebrew heads out there. And there was way too many. Because the Egyptians got to thinking, if we're invaded by a foreign power, and if these Hebrews throw in with them, they're going to be able to take us over pretty easy. We've got to do something about these Hebrew men. We've got to cancel their numbers. We got to depopulate the people. And that's what they strove to do. They worked them so hard so that they wouldn't be fruitful and multiply. When a man got done working at the end of the day, he probably drug himself to his tent. And they hoped all he wanted to do was sleep. They made their lives bitter with hard bondage, with mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field. All the service in which they made them serve, they made them serve with rigor, with all their might. They worked them like dogs. They were trying to beat them down. They were trying to keep them down. They wanted them to be quiet and just produce for the state. But somehow, the Israelites kept multiplying. Instead of being fewer, there's more. They, they keep growing. Every year they're growing. More and more and more and more. So they came up with an idea. Well, the Pharaoh did. He decided to end population growth. So in the first chapter still, verse 16, he told the Hebrew midwives, those who delivered the babies when they were born, he said, all the girls, you keep them alive. All the boys, you kill them. You kill all the boys. No more boys. No more threat. We want to make them extinct. Well, the, the midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And they didn't do it. So he came up with plan B. Plan B was, verse 22, he commanded his people, saying, Every son who is born you will cast into the Nile. 
Every daughter you shall save alive, good slaves, good cooks, good housekeepers. But kill them boys, they've got to go. They were being canceled as a people. Samuel feared King Saul because he anointed David king of Israel, and he feared Saul would retaliate, 1 Samuel 16. Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord because they were saying things she didn't want to hear. So she canceled them. She took them out. It was so bad at the time that Obadiah had to hide 100 prophets in a cave to at least keep some prophets alive in Israel. Ahab called Elijah the troubler of Israel. Ahab was an evil, evil man. Matter of fact, he was the most evil of all the kings of Israel. He did everything in his power to rid the nation of God. But he was unsuccessful. And he said it was Elijah that troubled the nation. Jezebel threatened Elijah. He had to arise and run for his life. I've never had to do that yet. Micaiah was insulted, struck, and imprisoned because he told the truth when King Ahab asked him a question. He didn't like the truth, so Ahab punished him. That is the problem, isn't it? Is that people don't like the truth that comes from God? Isn't that really the problem? God has spoken, and nobody wants it repeated. I shouldn't say anybody. But the vast majority doesn't want it repeated. Don't talk about such things. We've got to get along in this world. We've got to get by. Don't talk about it. Jeremiah was threatened, beaten, put in stock, cast into a cistern full of mud and other things and left to die. But he was saved on that day. Threatened by Jesus' birth, Herod tried to kill him, Matthew 2.16. Nothing changed. And during the ministry of our Lord, time after time after time, he had to escape his persecutors. Herod imprisoned John the baptizer, Mark 6. John was later beheaded in the same chapter. At Nazareth, the people, the people that's where Jesus was raised. These were his neighbors. They knew him all their life. And they tried to kill him. Why? Because he told them the truth. And they didn't like the truth. They preferred a lie over the truth. After raising Lazarus, the chief priests and Pharisees plotted to put Jesus to death from that day on. Why? Because he raised a man from the dead. What in the world are you talking about? How could somebody raise a person from the dead and then they turn around and want to murder him? How is that possible? When they're on a mission to cancel, they'll cancel regardless of the cost because they're mean. They're very mean. And very uncaring. Jesus was arrested, mocked, beaten, scourged, and nailed to a cross. 
The apostles experienced the same thing. They were arrested three times early on in the book of Acts. They were threatened, imprisoned, and beaten by the Jewish rulers, Acts 4 and 5. Herod killed James and left Peter in prison, intending to kill him also. James was canceled, and he wanted to cancel Peter. Going to shut these people up one way or another. Stephen was stoned to death because he talked too much. The persecution got worse. A great persecution arose against the church, which is at Jerusalem, chapter 8, verse 1, and the disciples were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. As for Saul, Saul made havoc of the church. He was the persecutor. He would enter into a person's house. He dragged men out of the house. He grabbed women by the hair of the head. He'd snake them out of the house. Then he'd throw them into prison because he had the authority to do it. But the persecutor became the persecuted. Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, Acts chapter 14. They were there to strengthen the souls of the disciples, exhort them to continue in the faith, saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Must. We must. It's got to be this way. There's no other way. Do you think it's different for us today than what it was for them? We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. There's no other way. But cancel culture's intent is to beat it down. Stamp out righteousness and dethrone the Lord. And in the 21st century, we feel sorry for ourselves because things are rough. The cost of living is going up. The price of eggs is ridiculous. Every time we turn around, we're being wounded by one thing or the other. It's nothing new. This is my point. Nothing's changed. It's always been this way. And what we have is our faith and our hope. And if we don't have faith and hope, we have a, we have a lot of problems. <clears throat> Jude, verse 3, said, Contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for delivered to the saints. The faith, the faith means the gospel of Jesus Christ. Contend earnestly for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it was delivered one time, and it was delivered for all people, and it was delivered to the church. That's what people despise. They despised him in person. Today, they despise him in word. Their master has a good control, and he guides them. Peter said in 1 Peter 5 and 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. After you have suffered a little while. You've got to suffer. That's part of it. No way around it. If there was, I think I'd have found it. But there's no way around it. This is what builds our faith. 
This is what makes us stronger in the faith. Is our suffering. It's hard to understand. I know it's hard to understand. But it's true. In Revelation chapter 2, the Lord spoke to the church at Smyrna. In the 10th verse, he told them that the devil was going to try them. He was going to test them to see what their faith was made of. And they were going to be enthroned in prison for 10 days. They were going to suffer persecutions very intensely. And the Lord said, be faithful unto death. Be faithful even if it costs you your life. And I will give you a crown of life. He not only told us what we would experience, he told us who it would come from. In the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation, we read about three characters. There's a dragon, a land beast, and a sea beast. Dragon is the devil. The land beast can be established to be the Roman Empire. For that time, it was the Roman Empire. But for us today, it's an authority that rules over us, government in general. And the other beast that came up out of the land was false religion. It looked like a sheep, but it spoke like a dragon talking there about religion. The two greatest enemies of the people of God since time began has been civil authority and religion. Religion has always been evil. And it will always be evil. But that has nothing to do with us. We trust God. And in him alone. Trust him. And don't worry about everything else. 